Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. I'm excited to be in church this morning. You know, I'm listening to the testimonies and looking around, listening to the kids come down the stairs and somebody saying, shh. <laughs> I just feel like, uh, you know, today's one of those days. We, we come to church to glorify God. Amen? Yeah. And, uh, but there are certain days where we also have an opportunity to glorify God for what he's doing in people. And, uh, you know, when we were getting ready for service today and talking to the leaders and, and the testimonies and the announcements that need to happen, I was just conscious of the time. Like, you know, it's, it's 11 o'clock. Don't want to keep you guys here all day. I'm definitely going to gonna share a word and, and hopefully it'll be shortened to the point. But it just uh, reminded me as I was listening that this is why we come, you know. We come to church to hear testimonies of people being healed of cancer. We come to church to hear testimonies of people coming to church to be healed in their, in their families and watching God do that. Uh, to say that we didn't understand the word and then we did. Or to say that I had never heard from God before, but I was in this conference and I heard from God and I want to be baptized. You know, church is not about X's and O's and, and getting in and getting out. It's about getting God and God changing our lives. So I'm just honored. I'm just grateful. I, I hope, uh, like Gary mentioned, that we can see uh, what God is doing. Before I acknowledge these, these last couple of folks, I want to ask that we would give a hand to all of our teachers from our courses. So if we can give them a hand, you know, we, sometimes it's easy to overlook that, but I know, you know, Gary teaches a class, Raymond teaches a class, uh, Mary teaches uh, one of our classes, and Ms. Peach is teaching our, our prayer class. Um, it's just, I know the effort that goes into that and the planning and preparation for, for those things, and uh, I'm just so grateful for them. The, the three that I, I want to recognize, um, they finished all of the courses. It takes almost two years, about 18 months, if you were going straight through it, uh, which these three have been able to do successfully, uh, 18 months of uh, doing devotionals, reading your scriptures, coming to Saturday classes when we all have life going on and not missing those Saturday classes or having to wait for four more months. And then they get these books, and many of us haven't read books since we were in high school. You know what I mean? And even when we were high school, we didn't read the whole book. Don't front. <laughs> so, so I'm watching them wrestle, wrestle with these books, and, and they like some more than others. And then they've got to uh, respond and answer questions. And, and uh, I was just watching them go through it, and it was, it was so exciting. So we want to uh, uh, 
for you guys being the first. What we believe in this church is that these courses are going to continue to be a blessing. Uh, but there's something about the people who go first, right? You know, the people that lay that foundation. So we want to honor you guys. So first up is Isaiah. Give him a hand. Good job, sir. Stand up here. This is for you. You know, give him a hand. Next up is, uh, uh, actually, before I, before I go on to next up, let me just quickly uh, say that Isaiah is like one of the, the quiet ones where you don't even know what he's doing uh, half of the time. He'll just show up. Today's the day of the course. I'm there. You told me to read the book. I read the book. In the last two years, you know, Isaiah read through his whole Bible, you know, and he wasn't putting it out there for everybody to see, but, but he read through his, his whole Bible. The dude never misses church. He is our, our, uh, one of our worship leaders. He plays the guitar. The dude just always shows up. He, he, I think he left for one Sunday to go to Hawaii, and even then he's like, I don't know if I should go. I was like, dude, go. We'll, we'll be all right. So, so it's, it's, some people are, are out front, and other people are just slow and steady and very consistent. So it's an honor to be your pastor, man. It's an honor to watch you do what you did. Good job. All right. Next up is uh, Julia Arkellian. <laughs> Gary's just happy because his wife's going to have some free time now that she's done with her courses. Here you go, Julia. This for you. You did a great job. Uh, I'll, I'll say this about Julia. Julia wants to know the details. She wants to know. Don't hide back there. Come on up here. She wants to know what's going on. What is this course about? When is this supposed to be done? She's calling me and, and asking me questions. She's telling me where we've misspelled things in the courses. But it's, but it's just been so awesome. Because when we first started talking about this, you know, Julia is uh, uh, the wife of one of our elders. Julia is a leader in the church. She leads a women's ministry. They also help to lead the youth. And when we started talking about this, she's like, well, where am I going to find the hours in the day to get these things done? You know, pastor's always asking us to do one more thing or to go to one more place or to accomplish one more thing. And... And I didn't really know what to tell her. I'm like, you're just going to make it happen. Uh, but she's one of those people that just finds a way to, to make things happen. And uh, to watch her go through this whole thing, and even uh, this last particular time when she was done, she came again anyway because she's going to be teaching one of the ministry courses as we, as we move forward in the future. So she was here this Saturday when she didn't even have to be here. So, uh, and in the midst of all that, had a new baby and, uh, and still just just uh, makes it happen. We're, uh, we're honored and I'm grateful that you are, again, one of the ones that's paving, paving the road for everybody else. Good job, thank you. <clears throat> All right. And then uh, last but not least is, is my wife, Mary. You can come on up here. So, uh, here you go, babe. Love you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with with my wife, um, I I don't really I don't really know where to start. You know, when when I start thinking about the things that God has called me to do or that He wants us to do in our church, she's usually the first set of ears that hears these things. And I know when it comes into her ears, she's thinking, uh, "My husband is crazy, and why are we doing something else?" <laughs> and uh, uh, again, how am I going to accomplish with this, this with everything else that we have going on? But she's just always so encouraging to me. Babe, we can do it. Babe, the courses are going to work. 
it's going to be good. And it's not just one of those, hey, it's going to be good and I hope other people do it. She says it's going to be good and she does it herself. Um, you're just a great encouragement to me. I'm glad that uh, uh, what we do in ministry and what we do in these courses, that we get to do it together. I'm glad that you've been blessed by the courses, that you blessed other people. Um, I'm just... I'm just honored to watch you accomplish what you've accomplished through these courses. I love you. Thank you very much. Amen. All right. All right. Give them one more hand. Oh, are you going to take a picture? Go ahead. Show, show those plaques. All right. So our, our desire, you know, I, I looked around as, as people were getting up and getting, as they went through one course and they get this, this certificate, you know, half the church is up here going through courses and, you know, a lot of churches want to accomplish a lot of different things. I believe that every church that puts Jesus first, every church that believes in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, every church that has a desire to see people saved is a good church. I don't think there's any reason to tear down any church, any reason to look down upon any church. Ladies, you guys can go ahead and pass those around. If people ain't going to give now, they just ain't going to give. <laughs> All right? So I think every church is a, <clears throat> is a good church and, and uh, wants to accomplish the things that, that God has called that church to do. In our church... Our heart's desire is that people would come to know Jesus. We don't want people to come to know church. We don't want people to come and, and get into a groove of, of the culture of a particular church. We want you to know Jesus, and we want you to know him better. Number one is for salvation. When we talk about ministry, we say uh, our ministry is to go out to people that don't know God and introduce them to God. And if you do know God, we just want you to come to know him more. And that's what these courses are about. Um, so for me to see people, we showed up yesterday and have whatever it was, 20-something people here on a Saturday saying, I want to know God more. You know, that's how I evaluate the effectiveness of the ministry and what we're trying to accomplish. Amen. So uh, Vicki and, and Margie, this shirt's for you. <laughs> I, uh... It looked bigger when I, when I bought it. <laughs> You know how you buy something and then I just brought it to church and then you like, you put it on, you're like, oh, dang. No turning back now, though. And then Isaiah had his on. I was like, all right, we're cool, man. We're good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so we're in the middle of a series. The series is titled um, The King and the Cross. And we're going through the book of Matthew right now. Um, and we're looking at Jesus as the king, and we're looking at uh, how that relates to the cross. We know as you get to the end of, of Matthew, and as we get to the end of this series, we'll be, we'll be coming to Easter, and we'll be looking at the cross. This last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, excuse me, when we were in our series, we looked at the, the tempted king. You know, Jesus comes, and he gets baptized, and he has this mountaintop moment, this mountaintop experience. And then as soon as he comes down off of the mountaintop, like many of us, when we have those spiritual highs, uh, there's a spiritual low. He goes into this valley. He goes into this desert, and he's tempted by Satan to turn away from the will of God and to turn back um, and to be something else that God does not have for him. You know, Erica testified about hearing from God on a Jericho walk. But then after those mountaintop moments, there's difficulty and there's struggle and there's drama. And you, you go to a class and you're excited and you wake up and your car doesn't start. That's the life that we live here, mountaintops and then valleys. But Jesus, when he comes out of that valley and he comes out of that temptation, is where we're going to pick up this morning in uh, Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to be uh, looking at the call of the king. 
he goes from being um, the immigrant king to uh, this mountaintop baptized, the, the king being baptized, and then he's the tempted king. And then this morning, it's the call of the king. So I want to pray before I get into the word, Lord. I thank you for everything that you've been doing. I thank you that you are alive, that you are well, that you are ministering, that you are moving, that you are still changing lives, Lord. And I thank you that there is a call that is still going out, Lord. It's a perpetual call. It's not a one-time call. Every day you call us to come into a further and deeper relationship with you, Lord. This morning, when you called us into this place, some of us came to be recognized. Some of us came to support. Some of us came uh, uh, for help and for needs. But we all hopefully have come because you have a call on our lives, Lord God. There's something that you want to speak to us, something that you want to do in us, something that you have a desire to give unto us this morning. And I pray that we would receive it, that we would hear your call and that we would respond this morning. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 25. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 25. Like I said earlier, I promise to try to do my best to be on time for you visitors. You don't know that I say that every time, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But keep hope alive. Today could be the day. So Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12, the call of the king. Now Jesus, or excuse me, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, these people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Stop there, amen. You know, I love when, when uh, God gives confirmation. You know, we, we started this series uh, quite some time ago, and today, what is it talking about? Jesus preaching and teaching, and it's talking about healing. And here we are in service, uh, looking at those who have been healed and who have been blessed, and recognizing those who are going through these courses and this time of teaching and, uh, and growing. So after this temptation of Christ... He hears that John the Baptist, John the baptizer, the one that uh, was, was in the wilderness, has now been put into prison. And Jesus heads to Capernaum. 
heads to Galilee. Uh, this particular city is very important to me. When you talk about mountaintop experiences, in 2014, I had a chance to go to Israel, uh, go all around Galilee, and found ourselves in Capernaum, right where this synagogue is, the ruins of this synagogue where Jesus is preaching. And I was there, and I just had this, this spirit come over me, the spirit of God come over me. The, the tour guide that we had was not a Christian. He was a Jew, so he didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. And he was teaching us things and sharing with us about uh, geography and where we were, but you could tell, you know when somebody tries to talk to you about God, but you know they don't know God? And we could tell that, that that's what was happening, and um, just like Sarah Ruella shared when she got out of class yesterday and she felt the boldness to pray for, for uh, one of her friends, the same thing happened to me. We were there, and I'm like, man, I feel like we just need to hear about God, and we need to pray, and we, re we need to really understand who who we are here to glorify, who we are here in search of, and uh, just began to weep and began to talk to people, and we prayed. And then when I come back and I, and I read these scriptures like I'm sharing with you guys today, I just have this, this point of reference of what God did in the scriptures and then what he did in my life. I hope when you guys read your scriptures, you can, you can make those type of connections too, right? What God has done in his word, but what God has done in your life. So here's Jesus in that spot. And John the Baptist has been taken to prison. John is who? He's the forerunner. He is the announcer of make straight the way of the Lord. The king is coming. He says, I'm not the king, but he's coming after me. Get ready. He's like the illuminator. He's shining the light on who Jesus is when Jesus is going to be arriving. Um, yesterday in one of the courses, somebody asked about the unpardonable sin. What is it that we can do that we can't be forgiven of? Um, there's only one sin that's unforgivable, and that's to blaspheme or to deny the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people get these things confused. They say, well, why is that? And it's because the Holy Spirit is the illuminator of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that draws you into relationship with, with Christ, that says you need to be saved, and this is the one that can save you. So when the scriptures say, if you deny the Holy Spirit, there's nobody to lead you to Christ. There's nobody to open your eyes. So this where we pick up our scripture uh, this morning is John is that illuminator and he's been put into prison, right? So there's going to be this separation of those who are going to deny the light, those who are going to imprison or try to cover that light, and those who are going to come to the light. There's this uh, transfer or this, this separation that's about to take place. In Matthew 12, 31, Jesus says, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 16 tonight, or excuse me, this morning says, People who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There's this light that's coming into the world, into a dark world. I don't know where you guys were when, when Christ found you or the light was, uh, the light shined down on you. Uh, I would assume that some of you got saved like I got saved when you were still addicted, when you were still jacked up and tore up, when you were still out there uh, running the streets, Amen. getting involved in relationships that we shouldn't have been involved in. I was, I was loaded and high the day that I got saved and gave my life to the Lord. When you read these scriptures, it says, he says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light. John 3.16, everybody knows, but this is John 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, he, that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, 
But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So we're looking at this moment of separation, choosing sides between Jesus and beginning to call people. Jesus is beginning to call people to make a decision. That's what this portion of scripture is about. The call of the king is light has come into the world. People love darkness, but the light is now shining and we have to make a decision. Are we going to go towards the light and the call of Christ? Or are we going to stay in darkness and deny Christ? That's where we find ourselves in the gospel. Verse 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets to follow him. Two brothers, two fishermen. But why are they so quick to leave everything and follow Jesus? I don't know. How about you? Was it a quick leaving of everything to follow Jesus? Jesus is walking by the sea. He sees Andrew. He sees Peter. He says, follow me. They leave everything. They, they drop their nets. They leave their father. They leave their business. They get up and they just take off to follow God. Most of the time, I find myself begging people, come to church, follow God. Stop doing what you've been doing. Just like people had to do that for me, Right? Nobody asks you, hey, would you like to go to church and give your life to Jesus? Oh, that sounds great. I'm just so tired of everything in my life. <laughs> no, we beg and we plead and we, and we have like campaigns and it's over. Oh, if you, you can bring your kids and they'll dress up and there's a jumper and then after you can get gourmet coffee. It's like we have to do everything to get people to walk away from their lives. But then when you read the scriptures, why is it that Jesus says, hey, follow me, and they leave everything to follow him. So this isn't actually the first time that they've encountered Christ. Just the day before, this is uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus shows up. He's, um, uh, John says, behold, the Lamb of God, and John has these disciples with him. This is the next day. It says, John 1, 29. On the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who's preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Say his disciples. His disciples. <clears throat> and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, he said to them, what do you want? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour and one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. 
Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So Jesus has already met Andrew. Jesus has already met his brother Peter. So the, if you get the full picture of the story, Jesus shows up on the scene. He tells John, I need to get baptized, just like Erica says, right? I need to get baptized, November 4th. <laughs> baptize me. John says, no, I, I, I can't baptize you. You've got to baptize me. He says, let's fulfill all righteousness. Jesus gets baptized. Spirit descends upon him. The next day, John's disciples are still with him. So many of us, are still with the people that we're comfortable with and that we're close to and that we feel connected to when God is saying, you need to be with me. It's not that those people are bad. It's not that those people have not a purpose that they need to serve. It's that you can't stay there forever. So John tells his disciples, look, as if you didn't understand what happened yesterday, that's the Lamb of God. Go with him. Andrew goes with him and begins to follow Jesus. He gets his brother. Jesus makes this call to them. Leave everything and follow me. I think we learned something important about discipleship here. There's a call to know Jesus, and then there's a call to become a disciple. There are a lot of people who have answered the call to know Jesus. We go to church, we give our 10%, we have a Bible, and like, we know Jesus. Somebody asks you, you, you can, you know when to say amen, you know when to say hallelujah, you know when to come in and the rhythm on the song, like, you know Jesus. <laughs> but I'm not so sure that there's so many who have answered the call to be a disciple of Christ. Many have seen God move, many have been touched by God, many have um, just seen the light Many have repented of their sins, but I think that there's a difference here that you see with, with Peter uh, and Andrew as we look at this, uh, this story here in Matthew. I think the difference is some of us are willing to leave everything and follow Jesus closely. See, it's hard today because, number one, I don't believe that God is really asking us to, to do it. It won't look the same. It's not like you get saved today and you say, I'm never going to go back to my house. And my car's in the parking lot, but I'm just going to leave the keys and walk away from it. Like, that's actually what happened with, with Andrew and with, with uh, Peter. And that's not what God is asking us to do today. However, in the spirit, he's asking for the same exact thing. He wants everything. He, he wants you to just surrender everything. That if somebody, if the Lord asks you for something, that there's no hesitation to be able to say, Lord, whatever you want, you can have it. We live in a world where surrender of everything is just so hard for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and uh, it's one of the books for our courses. This is what he says. He says, the call goes forth and is at once followed by the response of obedience. The response of the disciples is an act of obedience, not a confession of faith in Jesus. What he's saying is, when Jesus is walking and he says, Peter, Andrew, follow me, they get up and leave everything as an act of obedience. They already have faith in Jesus. They saw who he was the day before. Their disciple has already told them that's the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. They understand that and they actually believe it. But when it comes to discipleship, what the call is, is now leave everything and follow me. You see the two different calls? It's an ongoing call. When I, when I was praying this morning, uh, and what, what I prayed over you guys is that we would see that it's, a, it's an ongoing call. Every day he's calling us. Amen. 
Many of us remember when we got called into salvation and that's the only call that we've cared about. But every day he's been trying to call us to follow him closely. Luke 14, 25 says, A great multitude went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else why, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's the words of Jesus. We have to understand what he's saying. He's not saying you get saved and you say, Mom, I hate you. Dad, I hate you. Kids, find your own food. I love Jesus now. I ain't got no time for you. What he's saying is when you look at the comparison of, of what it means to follow me is that you might lose everything. You might lose everyone and you have to be willing to say, I'm with you. That's the cost of discipleship and you should count it. If you don't want to be a disciple, you can be a believer. <laughs> but he says, he turns, imagine all these people following. He's like, hey, don't act like you're really walking with me if you're not. This isn't the Jesus we often hear about when we go to church, but this is the Jesus that's in the Bible if you read it. It's hard to be a, a, a real disciple of Christ and the cost of what you have to lose. I'm going to give you a, a, a little bit of my heart this morning. Yesterday, I got angry about something. Somebody that I love and that I care about and that you minister to and that you try to help uh, was out in the world saying some really bad things about me. And, you know, the person that was telling me the story and where they heard it and what was going on, I usually don't get too frustrated about stuff like that, but it got under my skin because <laughs> I'm human, right? Yeah. And, I, and I began to think like, look, man, I'm tired, Lord. I was up at this time this morning. We got these courses going on. We got preaching tomorrow. We have all this stuff going on. I got to deal with people. And it's not like it's somebody that like, is an old enemy. It's like somebody that you care about and like, you've been trying to help. And then Jesus said, hey, man, count the cost. I told you you're going to lose friends. I told you that you're going to lose family members. I got a brother I haven't talked to in like four years. I got best friends from my whole life that will never set foot into the church, won't answer phone calls. I got people that you can minister to for years that will just turn their back on you and talk bad about you in the world. But then I'm thinking to myself, but what about all these people are going to come tomorrow? <laughs> and then Jesus says, count the cost, man. You want to go to war or not? Amen. I didn't tell you you had to go to war. I told you count the cost. And if you want to come do battle with me, take up your cross and let's roll. If you want to sit on the sideline, go sit on the sideline. I love you anyway. <laughs> So then I sit in the back and I hear people say, you know, when I came to this church a year ago, I wanted Jesus to heal my family. And he healed my family. And I'm like, oh yeah, Lord, that's why. It's not about me. <laughs> and then I hear another lady say, 
oh, I've been in the church and I didn't know much about the word, but then I went to this conference and I heard God talk to me for the first time. For some of us that have been doing Jericho for eight years, you know how hot it is in August? You know how hard it is to set up in a park every day? You know how much it costs to actually pay for what a small church pays for to do all that stuff? And then people look at you and they say, that's not a wise investment. But then you say, no, but when he called me, he said, I'm going to reveal myself to people. Count the cost. John 6, he says, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. He's saying, my call is powerful. When I call somebody, it's not like when you call somebody. It's not like when, when an invitation goes out, when you get an RSVP from, from Evite, are you coming to this kid's birthday party? That's not the, the kind of invitation or the call. He says, mine comes with power and it comes with authority and it comes from heaven when I call somebody. That's right. My call is the kind of call where people will say, is that you, God? And they will get up out of a boat and they will walk away from everything for me. Amen. These are fishermen. Matthew Henry says this about fishermen. That they're men that were accustomed to hardship and hazard, fishers by trade more than any other, um, fishermen by trade more than any other is laborious and perilous. Fishermen must be often wet and cold. They must watch and wait, toil and often in perils of waters. Those who have learned to bear hardships and run hazards are best prepared for the fellowship and discipleship of Jesus Christ. Good soldiers of Christ must endure hardness. These fishermen are out there cold, wet, tired, almost drowning, being physical, sometimes laboring with no results. And then Jesus says, oh, those are the kind of people I need because that's what it's going to be like to follow me. Verse 23 of Matthew 4 says, Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. What's the gospel of the kingdom? I think this is important uh, for the church, for everybody that's here this morning, and as you go forward in, in your faith, um, what is the gospel of the kingdom? When people ask you, you know, do you believe in God, and do you go to church, and, and we need to know what the gospel is. Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom is that there is another kingdom that is above and beyond this kingdom, and I'm its king. And if you want to follow me, you need to be a citizen of that kingdom before you're a citizen of this kingdom. You are not an American, you are not a Mexican, you are not a European, you are not any of those things. You either belong to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, or you belong to some other kingdom. And it, that says, he says that that's the message that he went around to every church preaching. Carpenter's son, with no formal training and no authority, walks into churches and says, hey, I came to tell you about another kingdom, and I'm the king. Can you imagine what that would have been like? It's a call. He's calling people. In the last two days, it's probably happened to all of you. It might happen before we get out of church, unfortunately, but how many of you have been getting these Amber Alerts? You guys been getting these Amber Alerts come across your phone last two days? Like, like four or five of them. I thought it was the, the first couple times it was the same one, but this morning a second one came out with a different vehicle. Um, and it just got, it got the most of me. 
over the course of yesterday and today, I was thinking to myself, right now, we just picked up our kids. I'm like, some kid just got snatched up and is in some car with somebody they don't know. Drive. It's the kingdom of darkness that we live in, guys. I was watching something uh, yesterday and it was talking about the dark web and child pornography. It's the kingdom of darkness and it's right here before our eyes. But Jesus comes and he preaches about another kingdom. Calling us to be a part of that kingdom. I'm so thankful that there's another kingdom because I don't like this one. I don't even like how it makes me feel because one minute I'm getting an Amber Alert and my heart is broken and the next minute I'm trying to go to wherever it is, Chick-fil-A and get food for my kids. And it's like, man, Lord, how do I live in this tension of knowing that it's dark and it's desperate and horrible things are happening, but I still have a life and I still have kids and I still, ha- you know what I'm trying to say? Like, is, am I the only one that has this tension of like, God, I'm so tired of this world. But he comes from heaven and he says, hey, there's another kingdom and it's coming. There's a place where I'm going to make every right wrong. You know how many people have gotten away with whatever the person did yesterday? There's a chance they might get away and not be judged and not be held accountable. And that kid may never see their parents again. How can that be possible? Only if there's a God who says there's a life after this one and nobody's getting away. Let me try to finish up. Verse 24. Because he's preaching about this kingdom... And because he's healing all these people, verse 24 says, His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Why is Jesus doing all this healing? He loves people. He cannot help but try to heal people. But it's really for one important reason. He's just trying to confirm that what he's telling us about the kingdom of heaven is true. He cares about us, and he wants you to be healed. But let's just be honest. He didn't heal everybody. We celebrate Margie. We celebrate Vicky. But how many of us know somebody that we are having to remember because they weren't healed? Why? Is it because Jesus doesn't care? Of course he cares. What he's saying is, listen, I will heal some and I will touch some and there will be glory for me in that. But it's only so everybody understands that there is a kingdom after this. I'm going to resurrect people. He let Lazarus die. And then he says, man, I don't know what you guys are so worried about. I am the resurrection. I'll raise him so you can see the power that I have. But he's going to die again and he's going to live in eternity in the other kingdom. When Jesus comes and blesses our lives, it's not because he wants us to have more money. It's not because he wants us to be happier. It's not because he wants us to have a better house. He's saying, listen, I just want you to see that when I'm telling you the truth about what's ahead, you can trust me. You can trust my word. There's another kingdom. And it's more powerful than this one. I'm happy that Jesus healed Vicky and Margie. I'm grateful for that. I believe God deserves honor. There's a lot of people who have been healed, but they won't come to church and say, thank you, God. The King James Version of of verse 24 says, His fame went throughout all of Syria. They brought to him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, those which were possessed with devils, those which were lunatics, and those that had palsy, 
and he healed them all. So these three diseases in the King James Version that he's talking about, palsy is the greatest weakness of the body. Your body is paralyzed. You have paralysis. Lunacy is the greatest disease of the mind. You've gone crazy. And not momentary, temporary insanity like all of us go through from time to time, like all the way crazy all the time. And then the third one is possession by the devil, which is the greatest misery of the soul. So these diseases that people are coming and saying, some people are broken beyond belief in body, some people are broken beyond belief in mind, and some people are possessed and broken beyond belief in soul. And Jesus heals all of them saying, I have authority over mind, body, and soul. Everything that can, that can harm you or attack you, I can speak to it and deliver you. Why? Because there's another kingdom, and I'm its king. At the end of John's gospel, this is what he says. He testifies of all these things that we read in Matthew today. And John says, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John says, listen, I, I've told you what I can tell you. Matthew tells us what he can tell us about. He doesn't even go into the details. He said, as many people as came to Jesus, he healed them all. He says, but there's so much more that he did. There's not enough paper and pen and ink in the world to tell you. What I love is that those stories are still being written. When we hear our own testimonies about what God is doing, it's that same God, that same kingdom, that same power, and he's writing our stories right now. When I said that he still is putting a call out, a call into deeper discipleship, I feel like for many of us, we believe in God, but what Jesus is saying, I want to call you out of your boat. <laughs> I want to call you away from those nets. Come and really follow me. Count the cost, but then come. I want to write your story. It's a powerful story of deliverance, a powerful story of healing, a powerful story of understanding the kingdom and its authority over the kingdoms of this world not having to live in fear, not having to live in worry, not being stressed out about our relationships and our marriages and our kids, having a, a greater authority to speak into our lives. Isaiah, would you come? Matter of fact, worship team, would you come? This morning when, uh, when I think about the call of God, I'm grateful for the first call, but I'm just excited about the future calls. I look at what I've seen God do in everybody's life in this church and in friendships and even through trials and tribulations and frustrations and anger. And, I, and I'm grateful that he told us that it was, it was part of it in advance, that we don't have to be surprised. I want to read to you as we close. Matter of fact, to hold me accountable, why don't you guys stand? We're going to receive communion and we're going to pray, but I want to read to you Jesus making this call uh, into deep relationship with him, into communion and into discipleship. I want us to think back as, as, you, as you hear this. I want you to think about what was shared this morning in regards to uh, the one who heals our mind, the one who heals our body, the one who heals our soul, ultimately the things that only he can do. And this is what he says in John 6, 48. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. <laughs> Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. 
Listen to this contrast of kingdoms and of bread. He says, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and their dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand this? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So Jesus gets into the nitty gritty of communion and he's saying this isn't a distant thing. This isn't a following at a distance. This isn't, you know, when you can get some fish from me or you can get some bread from me. If you can get a little bit of healing for me that you'll follow and you'll kind of listen to me. He says, no, I got to get all the way in you now. You've got to be all the way in me. Eat of me. Dine on me. Make me everything that sustains you. It's the second call. When he first called him and said, hey, everybody just sit down and are you hungry? Where's that little boy with his fish? Here, here. Here's everything you want, everything you need. Here it is. And they're like, oh, I could get with that Jesus. And he makes a second call. I want you to do something you've never done before. I want you to understand something you've never heard before. I want you to risk everything to follow me and to get away from the synagogue, to get away from the temple, to get away from the sacrificial system. Now you're just going to follow me wherever I go and whatever I say. John 666. <laughs> From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. From hundreds and thousands to twelve, because it's a hard call. <laughs> It's a hard call to give everything. Peter, the one that gave everything and got out of the boat and got away from the nets and, and said, I'm no longer a fisherman. I'm now a fisher of men. I'm now a follower of Christ. I am a disciple of Christ. What he says is what I'm going to do. Where he goes is where I'm going to go. When it got hard, he had already counted the cost. Jesus says, you want to go? He said, where am I going to go? I can go somewhere where they can lie to me and tell me I'm more than I am and better than I am and worth more than I am 
and that I don't have to change that, and that I don't need to be transformed and that there's no power of God to dramatically transform my life or I can stick with you, Jesus, where you tell me, look, it's impossible on your own, but with me, nothing is impossible. When we receive communion, hopefully this is one of the scriptures that come to mind. How many people Jesus offered come into communion with me and they walked away? Just got down to 12. They said, let's eat, let's dine. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the call. I thank you that from the time that you came, you began to preach the gospel of the kingdom, preparing us not only for just how to endure in this life, but you were preparing us for the next life, Lord God. I thank you that in the midst of that, you did not neglect the fact that we do have needs and that we do need healing, that we are suffering in this world, that bad things are happening and tragedies are taking place, Lord God. You didn't skip over that just to talk about the future. You met us where we are. You provided hope. You provided life. You provided healing like we've seen in this body. But then you compelled us to go deeper. You called us to go deeper, Lord. The Holy Spirit illuminated who you are and called us into salvation. And then you called us further into discipleship. As we come for communion, Lord God, we are saying we want more of you. We recognize that your body being broken on the cross and your blood being spilled for us is not just a thing of the past. It's a daily reminder of going deeper with you. This morning we say, where else can we go? You have the words of life. What is it that's behind us, Lord? We've come to know and understand that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Help us to be like the disciples that even though they didn't understand and even though that they knew that it was going to be hard, they heard the call and they responded, God. With heads bowed, eyes closed in this place, if you've never responded to the first call of salvation, which is just, you are a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. It's a broken world. You may not be snatching somebody up and putting them in your car and taking them away from their family. You may not be a murderer, but you are a sinner. We are all born sinners. And God calls us. He says, I came to bring light into your darkness. You don't have to fix it yourself. I don't want to wait for you to change and then you're going to deserve salvation. He says, I've come for you. I love you. I want you. I want to forgive you. All you have to do is want to be forgiven. That's the first call. If you've never responded to it and you want to today, you don't have to move. Just raise your hand. I want to be able to pray with you this morning. Jesus is saying, listen, I've never saved a good person. I've only saved sinners. If that's you this morning, you know that you're still carrying your sins and you're tired of it. You want to lay them down this morning. Would you raise your hand so I could see you? Just want to be forgiven. Hallelujah. I see you. Praise the Lord. I see you too. Anybody else this morning? Today's your day. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you see these young men. You know what they've been involved in. Just like you knew what I had been involved in and every other person, Lord. You say that you did not come. For those who are healthy, you came for those who are sick. I thank you this morning, Lord. I ask that you would meet them, that you would confirm who you are and what you want to do in their life, Lord God. That their sins are truly forgiven. Help them to move forward. For the rest of us, as I open the altar for prayer, somebody will pray with you as we open up communion. You can go and get communion on your own. But I want you to, to think about this before you come. 
I believe that God wants to call you into a deeper relationship with him. I believe that God wants to call you into discipleship. If you've been a follower of Christ, if you've been saved, if you've been a believer but not a disciple, man, what a great call it is to leave everything behind and let Jesus sustain you. Lord, bless those who would enter into discipleship this morning, God. Bless those who would hear your voice calling them to count the cost and to go deeper with you, Lord. Show them that you already love them and that they're saved. They're not going to lose their salvation, but you do have something special for them in this discipleship, in this deeper relationship, in this counting of the cost and, and laying some things aside, focusing their eyes on the kingdom that's ahead, Lord God. Meet us at this altar. Meet us during this communion and then stay with us, Lord. Bless them as they go from this place. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The altars are open. Praise the Lord. You can have communion. You can come for prayer. Thank you, Lord. I was nowhere you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way for listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.